Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. Hi, Jenny. How are you doing? I am amazing. How about you? Uh, I'm doing great, but you have a mask on your face. I do. So I'm in my office and have to have a mask on because we have a policy at work that you have to wear a mask at all times, even if you are alone. So, well, what have you been sewing lately? Well, I am right now working on sewing for others, a thing I have uh, stated repeatedly on this podcast I hate to do. Um, my daughter has a trip coming up um, to replace a spring break trip last year, going to um, Disney World in Florida. And she, I received some fabric that I thought would be amazing for her and her family to wear there. It is little itty bitty unicorns on it that are um, covered with uh, their manes and their tails are rainbows. And then in between, it has those sashing flags like from parties. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. So I offered to make her a skirt, which turned into an offer to make her a skirt, my granddaughter a dress and her fiance a vest. So um, they leave in about a month during my busiest time of the year, and I still need to figure out how to do this. And the plus I have is I usually make one of the patterns we'll talk about later here, and I'm going to make a hack to it that we'll also talk about later um, for the skirt for my daughter. I did have to buy a pattern for the vest because I don't sew for men very often, and I never sew vests. So we'll see how that goes. Everything else should be smooth sailing, which is great. Um, the other thing I'm doing a little bit of, which we won't go into too deeply here because we don't want to offend the non-knitters, I have been knitting ponchos for myself because I have determined if I can knit no more than five rows at a time and then take a break, my hands are not destroyed. They still hurt a little, (laughs) but they are not destroyed. And it's been trying to, I'm trying to employ your methods. It's, it's important. I like knitting and I really hate when I have to step away from it. And when I hurt my hands significantly, I do have to step away. So I prefer, I prefer to take it five rows at a time and know I can come back to it than to do too much and realize I can't knit again for a year because I'll remember the pain too well. Um, So that's sort of my approach. And we'll link um, the pattern that I created for the poncho I'm making in the show notes as well. Because I'm fortunate enough to know what Beverly's been working on, I really only have one question as I ask her what she's been doing. Do I just send my mending to you? <laughs> no. So what have you been up to? <laughs> I've been doing a little bit of mending. Actually, so this airs in April, but um, right now it's Mend March. Um, so there's people who like have a, they have a hashtag and they have like every day a prompt. I'm not doing that, but it got me thinking, oh, maybe I could tackle a few things that I need to mend. And so, I mean, I'm talking small things and, and small things and visible mending. I like visible mending because it's like really just, it's kind of like embroidery, but like fixing the hole in Jim's hoodie, you know, it didn't take me very long and he wears that hoodie all the time. So I did that and I mended some socks, but I am doing sewing. You charge Jim for the mending. What was the fee? Well, that's private. <laughs> An even better answer than I was hoping for. <laughs> I I love it. 
Uh, other than that, I'm doing a little bit of sewing too. I actually am doing sewing for others too. I, I owe him some, some running tights because I made him some for Valentine's day. And, um, I <laughs> just like, it made a longer crotch length and a women's pattern and turns out it's not the same. So I got to make a, <laughs> I got to use a men's pattern, I guess. So we also have a new feature this month. Um, and that is called hashtag, you came up with it. What is it? It's hashtag punk frocker WTF. WTF, of course, stands for who to follow. What did you think it stood for? <laughs> um, and this month we have spoken to Sierra Ferguson, who is so underscore very underscore Sierra, who we will link in the show notes. And we noticed that she made the most adorable Nina Lee Baker Lou dress, which is this pattern that's very, very popular in sewing community right now with a huge collar. And she made it in fabric that is a cow print. And I don't mean there's cows all over it. I mean, it's like a dairy cow. It's white with black spots all over. I think it's awesome. Which is amazing. I'm actually wearing a dress today that is in no way like that, but reminds me of it because it is a black with numbers all over it. So it's, yeah. it's a counting fabric, but it's that big sort of bold black and white print. And I've, I've countered it with a red yoke, right? That is that is the dress I was talking about when I was talking about your color blocking with the sagebrush <laughs> that I like so much. I yeah, love that one. And this one is actually the ruby. This is made by oh. Ray's ruby, which I also color block the yoke on. And oh, that was sagebrush. Oh. Um, even though uh, the the pattern doesn't call for lining this, this is a yoke I line. We'll talk about that later too. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, that that Bakerloo dress is amazing. Yeah, and another thing that that uh, we saw on her Instagram that we really liked is a refashioning of a sort of a nurse's scrub top mm-hmm. into yeah. a tank top, which I think is a great way, to, you know, taking something that's a, a regular shirt, maybe with sleeves or whatever, um, and making it into a tank top gives you, pl- you know, plenty of fabric to do that. That's a good idea. That that can be a really neat remake. I um, frequently will purchase uh, from um, online stores that have graphic tees that I like. I'll purchase their tee in the largest size it comes in so that I can remake it as a tank for myself using um, a, a tank pattern that I love either from Cashmerette or from Muna and Broad typically. And I have occasionally also done that to turn the t-shirt into another t-shirt, again, using a pattern from, from a, a, a company I already like for a t-shirt. Thank you, Sierra, for letting us feature your Instagram. And we will be contacting other followers of our Instagram account. Absolutely. We're going to reach out to you. So check your DMs from time to time to see if you've got one from us, because we'd love to talk to you about what it is you're making and feature you here for sure. All right. So before we start on our episode, we have got to say this because we forget this every single time. We are so thrilled to have already gotten so many listeners. As of today, last night we got a notice that we had 1,000 uh, downloads of our episode of our podcast. That's so exciting. It's freaking me out. It's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so many Instagram followers. This is so fun. 
Um, we would love it if you would like our pod, if you like our pod, for you to give us a five-star rating and review it. Absolutely. Anywhere you reach out for that podcast, it helps us. It serves the pot up for more people who may be interested. And of course, it makes us smile an awful lot. We do currently have a five out of five star rating, but we don't have enough ratings that they're showing commentary that people have made. As you start to rate us, if you leave comments there, once those begin to appear, you can you can bet we'll be either reading them aloud or posting them on our Instagram feed because they will they will make us smile so much. Yes. So thank you all very, very much. All right, Jenny, what's this month's theme? Our theme is drafty. It is draft your own. And our hashtag is hashtag PF drafty. So what does this mean, Beverly? Well, um, I can see probably a bunch of listeners thinking, oh, shit, I don't know how to draft a pattern. (laughs) This could mean drafting an entire pattern. It could mean drafting a pocket. It could mean making something really simple or something really difficult. Absolutely. Uh, there's a bunch of them we're going to go through in kind of a set order here so that so that we're a little organized about our suggestions. But it, it really is everything from very small things to very big things. And so you can put your own spin on it for sure. And we're going to start with a really beginner-friendly and satisfying project that allows you to draft an entire garment easily for yourself, namely skirts. Skirts are one of my personal favorite things to draft, either from scratch because I'm just looking at a waist and a hip measurement, right? And making some choices from there or by adjusting the elements of patterns I already own. What's the first type of skirt we'd like to talk about, Beverly? Um, I've seen for many years tutorials on how to make a circle skirt. And um, there's all different ways of making it. And I think, you know, for me personally, I don't think I'd want a full circle skirt. That's That's a little costumey to me, but maybe like a quarter circle skirt. And there's, there's, math involved. And I like that. And those, those tutorials, there's lots of them online. Have I've never even made one. So have you made one before? I have, I've made them from a variety of tutorials online. I think there are a lot of really good ones. And if the word math scared you, there are a lot of really good ones that if you search on circle, circle skirt calculator, they do the math for you. And so you can avoid that. The issue I've always had with circle skirts is I do love them. I agree with you. They can look costumey, but they look more costumey if they're made out of heavier fabrics, like a felt wool, as intended for a poodle skirt, for example. But if you make a circle skirt out of a lightweight linen or a double gauze, it doesn't look anything at all like a circle skirt. It gives you an ungathered waist with the fullness of gathering. So you can get, right, you can get some of that fullness you might want off of a gathering without having to have the gathering, which can be at the waist a a little bulky, right? So it's pretty cool in that way. The caution I have is if your hips are particularly large, you are probably going to have to piece your fabric together to make this happen. And depending on your fabric and how you feel about pattern matching or how you feel about seams, you may or may not be satisfied with your end results because in the end, you're limited to the width of the fabric, right? That's all you've got when you're doing a circle that's unpieced. So a 60 inch fabric works for up to a certain size hips. And I, I don't know what, I can tell you it doesn't work to my size hips for the length I prefer, but quilting fabric for backing comes in 108 inch width. 
Oh. 108-inch width, which means you can get a circle skirt for a much wider variety of body sizes, but you are limited to those fabrics that come in that wider width. But they there are a lot of those. So that's that would be kind of my my Where do you find those? I mean, do you find them at regular fabric stores or just well, you can't at, so like Joanne and places like that are definitely gonna have oh. some of those 108-inch widths, but they're probably gonna have 10 of them. Okay. And half of them will be solid colors. But online at stores like fatquartershop.com or other quilting specialty shops, you can find them. And of course, at the ubiquitous, but sometimes um, concerning Amazon-owned fabric.com, you can find them and you can do your searching by width of fabric there. So if you want a fabric made out of a particular material, you can put in the width that you're looking for and potentially find things that are going to really work for you. That's a really good idea. So yeah, I love those. All right. So what are some other types of skirts that, that, that you'd recommend? Well, um, there are the, the next easiest one to do is probably a very simple elastic weight wasted skirt. And there are tutorials for this. And we're going to link one from Megan Nielsen to show you that opportunity to do it. Um, the way she does it has sort of a 60 inch limit, but Fabric that isn't directional can, of course, be turned lengthwise if it's a woven generally and generally be very successful in in a different length, which makes you have no limitation on the possible hip size at that point. Uh, But the other point I'd make there is that you you may not even really need a tutorial on it. Essentially, if you want a gathered waist skirt, it's a rectangle the size of the skirt plus ease that you want. So for me, I like my straight column skirts that are woven to have at least 10 inches of ease, but probably not more than 15. That's just sort of where my happy place lives. On my knitted skirts that are columnar skirts, right? They're not going to have a lot of fullness, but they've got an elastic waistband on them. I'm usually going for literally my hip size as the width I want that to be because I prefer that pencil look. So that's one approach to doing that. It it can be successful. I am not personally super stoked about elastic waist skirts. If I'm going to put elastic on my skirt, I want it on the back side only, not the front side. And we'll talk about that um, in a moment as well. I guess it's people have to kind of determine for themselves how much ease they need in a, in a skirt. Is, Is there any kind of proportion that people could follow with that or... So I think I think it's more complicated than just proportion. One of the things I would do, though, as you're drafting your own, especially for the, the skirt and the pants, would be to look at other pairs of pants you own and wear successfully that you're comfortable with the fit on and make some guesses from there because it gives you at least something to go on. Now, it's really important that you're looking at the same style of garment, right? If you're looking at a pair of fitted pleated pants, the ease on that is going to be so different than if you're looking at joggers or or something else. But as long as you're comparing apples to apples, as it were, I, I think you could be very successful there. That's a good idea. Another one that we have here is a box pleated skirt. (laughs) Now you had a really good example of that, right? I have several really good examples of things like that. Now, in this particular case, we have a YouTube tutorial that we're going to link to where the designer took, um, I, I believe, took an Ankara fabric, one of the traditional African wax print fabrics, turned it on its side and inserted box pleats that were, I want to say, two inches for the pleat on each one all the way down the length of the fabric until they hit their waist measurement plus a seam allowance. 
And so your box pleated all the way around. There's no different spacing. They're up against each other as close as they can be all the way around. And when you complete it, you you stitch, stay stitch along the box pleats so that they stay box pleats. And then um, determine the length of your skirt, tear off the bottom of the fabric, because this is 45 inch wide fabric. So you're going to have a little bit at the bottom, at least, that you're not going to want on the ground usually. And you use that to make your waistband, which would be your waist measurement plus a seam allowance. And you're going to stick a zipper in this one. That's the way that one's designed because it's pleats. You're not really going to gather a pleated skirt generally, unless it's those little chiffon pleats you buy pre-pleated, right? That's a little Mm -hmm. bit different. But for this, you wouldn't gather it. It's a really easy to do tutorial. And it's one of those things where I saw this on Facebook, I think, maybe a year ago, the first time. And I saw the tutorial and I was like, all right, well, I'm done doing what I'm doing right now. And I got up, got fabric and immediately did it because it was so compelling to me. And the, it was such a beautiful, dramatic skirt. So I truly love this one. I now typically, instead of measuring out the pleats, which made me crazy, you've, you've met me, that's not a thing I'm going to want to do. Instead of measuring out the pleats, I used forks to make the pleats. So I used a kitchen fork from, um, I believe actually from my mother's wedding silverware set, because that's my everyday. And I use that to make the pleats. And we'll, we'll include a link into doing that, but you're essentially putting the, the time, top two tines of the fork over the fabric, so the fabric sandwiched between, and then twisting the fork so that it makes the fold for you. But the beauty is it's always the same size fold because yeah. the fork doesn't change. I like and, that idea. That's a good idea. And you can use you can use a serving fork to get bigger pleats. Yeah, right. Or table yeah. fork. Well, that's smart. Or, you know, so I love that. That's what I did with that one. But I also more recently took the Upton, um, the Cashmere at Upton dress expansion pack and made the skirt itself, which has uh, multiple pleats on the front and on the back, but not all the way around. I had not quite as much fabric as I'd prefer and could not achieve the ease recommended by the designer. So it is a less dramatically pleated version. And I like it. It's a good skirt, but I'm going to remake it using the expected ease. And we'll provide pictures of both of those so that you can see what difference it makes when you're using the designer's ease versus your own chosen ease. So so would you um, say then that you drafted your own? I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started from a basis that I knew with fabric that I knew I couldn't make what I wanted out of unless I made changes. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Can I share one more skirt with you. I know we're going long on skirts, but the skirt that I mentioned above that I'm making for my daughter for her Disney World trip is going to be the skirt number one from 100 Acts of Sewing. This is a great beginner skirt. It is two pieces. Well, it's actually one piece. You make it twice, front and back, done and done. And then you put elastic around the top and they recommend a very narrow elastic, but I've done things like used Pico underwear elastic up there. I've stitched the elastic directly on rather than making a casing and flipped it under like you might for a swimsuit. I've done a lot of different things with it. But in this case, for my daughter, for comfort and wearing at a theme park, I am going to add eight to 10 inches to the back center seam and I'm going to make a gathered back. I'm going to put a casing in, I'll put in wide elastic, and, and once it's in the casing, I will stretch it and zigzag stitch twice on it so that it's it's got an art, sort of a neat look to the elastic being stitched down in that casing. But I'll also adjust the front, the pattern piece when I cut it for the front, by reducing 
moving the center seam over so that I'm cutting less of a size piece for the front so that the waistband matches my daughter's waist measurement plus half an inch. That way the front will go side seam to side seam ungathered mm. and the back will have all the gathering in it. Um, so I'm, I, that's a, that's a hack I do pretty often with this skirt. When I want to throw together a 30 minute skirt, this is, this is one that I do that way. It sounds like skirts are a really good idea for beginners and for more advanced sewists to try drafting their own. And also I love that you often have adjusted elements of patterns that you already own to make them suited for you. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things about being a, a fat sewist is that I do often have to adapt things in order to get what I want anyway, because there aren't as many patterns for me. Um, you have a wider variety of patterns you can select from than I do. And people even smaller than you have a, an even wider variety of patterns they can select from. Um, it's uh, So it can be challenging sometimes to get exactly what I want. And when I find a thing I like, for example, I love the Made by Ray Trillium Dress uh, sleeve expansion that includes a cap sleeve. That cap sleeve is created so cleverly and stops me from having to do yet another hem. And so what I love about it is that that quickness, the way I can cut it out and make it work. So I use that on a ton of patterns. I can take a sleeveless dress and add a cap sleeve without having to adjust the arm side. So that's a nice thing to just be able to add to it. But the other thing is when I have... Um, when I have a sleeve I want to share, for example, the beautiful sleeve on the Sagebrush Top by Friday Pattern Company, which is a big, puffy, full sleeve, I can adapt that sleeve to other garments by taking the pattern piece for the bodice on the Friday Pattern Company Sagebrush Top and overlaying it on what it is I want to make and copying the arm size so I can trace the pattern of the arm side and change it. Um, I use, as a side note for that, I use rolled paper that I get from Ikea that's for children's easels for drawing on. Oh, I have that I buy too. that rolled paper because it's a reasonable width for most of the types of things I want to adjust or change. The great thing too is if you're putting a puffy sleeve in, you can probably use the, it's not going to matter the arm side because you're going to have to gather it anyway or pleat well, it. Well, part of it, it's the underarm part of it that I think I worry about is okay. whether or not I'm going to come right where I am supposed to there. So it's true. You can be less accurate about what you're doing. And you can also create your own puffy sleeve by using the sleeve that was built into the garment to begin with, just by taking it and making the option to cut it in half, pull it apart, put fabric in the middle and redraw that curve at the top and then gather there. So there's, there's definitely another path for almost anything we talk about. Yeah. So sleeves are really still a hot feature in home sewing and on in ready-to-wear clothes, but also right now are the big collars like the Bakerloo that we talked about earlier. And that's another thing we could we could just draft our own. Absolutely. I think collars can be a little bit more fidgety because you have to worry about how they're going to lay when they're attached. But I've also seen people use the baker loop and separate the collar, put it on bias tape and tie it or snap it around the back of their neck so you could put it on any garment, like you could wear it over a t-shirt or a different dress or or something else. So I think there's also something to be said for self-drafting a collar that you can move from garment to garment. But you could you could draft one. Let's say you had a garment that already had a collar on it and it was a it was a simple, maybe it's oh, yeah. 
Peter Pan collar and you wanted to make it into like something with ruffles around it, you could, you could quite easily do that. I think you could very easily do that or change the shape of it so that you've got hearts coming down at the end of it or, or something else. So I think wow. there's definitely some space there. Um, I'm less experienced with it because while I am definitely making the Bakerloo dress because it's amazing, I hate collars. So I'm a little conflicted. Ah. <laughs> collars aren't my thing. I like a scoop because my cleavage looks better in a scoop neck than it does in a collar. <laughs> um, I like a, I like a camp collar. I've never made a proper sh- uh, shirt yet. That's on my list. The Gilbert top has a, a camp collar and I like that. Yeah. See, I, I normally, when I make a thing that has a collar, I, I take the collar out. Mm. I, adapt, I adapt the instructions to remove it. So the Wakery blouse from Muna and Broad has a, has a collar associated with it. And I just lop that baby right off. And even the denim jacket I'm wearing now, which I did not make when I purchased jackets, I prefer them to be collarless. Ah. Just a, just a quirk. I'm not sure why. I think because I don't iron oh. and it feels to me like collars really require more maintenance after you throw them through the laundry. That can be true. Like, especially, yeah, yeah, that can be true because they get a little wonky if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't iron them down sometimes. I think that's my theory on it is that I'm, I just don't want to iron them. Uh, speaking um, of ironing wonky things, you could also draft a facing for something if it had bias binding around or whatever. I have, for me, I do the opposite. I take anything that has a small facing and, and make it into bias bound if I can, because I hate those little facings. Yeah, and I, I hate the little facings too, but I am also opposed to bias binding. So in the end, I almost always line things instead, which I mentioned at the top of the show, right? So if something has a yoke, it's super easy to line. You're just going to duplicate the pattern pieces you had for the yoke and treat them as a second top that you're connecting at the neckline, and you can go ahead and do it. So it's not that hard to do. So my steps are generally that if a garment that I want to add a lining to doesn't have a back seam, I'm going to add one, especially if it has sleeves. But even if it doesn't, I get a better finish either way. So I'm going to add a back edge to it. Now that back edge may be sewn back together. It frequently is for me, but you could also use it to put in a zip or buttons or snaps or something else if you wanted to add interest. But once you create the back seam, what it means is you can use the burrito method which we'll link um, a video to. You can use the roll-up burrito method in order to finish your arm side and your neckline so that they're sewn on with the right sides of the fabric together. And then when you turn it out using the burrito method, now all of your seams are enclosed in your lining. And so I, I really love doing that. And you can do that as well with sleeves. You can add sleeves in there and have that be a part of it. Um, so the video will be very useful in that. I try and describe it, but I think I'm, I'm very bad at that. <laughs> but, yeah. But I gotta say, I can't really technique. picture it. Um, I know about using the burrito method for the back yoke when you're, when, when you have the lining actually of the, the back yoke, but I can't imagine it with the sleeves. However, I couldn't imagine it in the, I mean, I remember the first time I made the Helen's closet Gilbert top, I was like, this is magic. I don't know how yeah. this happened. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get my my head around it and I have pretty good spatial working, but I couldn't get my head around it. So I'll be excited to, to look at the video and we will definitely link it in the show notes. Absolutely. And I use it primarily with cap sleeves, but I have used it with full sleeves before. The issue with full sleeves is that sort of like when you're doing the top stitching on the inside of the crotch of a pair of jeans, Mm -hmm. right? You're having to squoosh a lot of fabric along to keep it 
from sewing over too many layers, but also you're going up a tube and coming down a tube. So you're having to deal with a lot of um, really gathered spaces on either side of your stitching line. So it can be more trouble than it's worth for a full sleeve. For a cap sleeve, it is it is far and away the easiest way to finish that neatly and not have to resort to the dreaded um, seam binding. So there's a lot, there's definitely a thing there that can be really useful, but as, as noted, you can eliminate facings and use bias binding. So there are two other things you can do. One is you can make your facing bigger so that, for example, there are those little skinny things that are just a stinker, but if you make a facing that takes the full shoulder seam width, then you can enclose it all the way down the length of your shoulder seam. And that helps to keep it stable and helps to keep it from turning out. And if you've got sleeves, you're going all the way to the end. So your sleeves are also going to cover that portion of it. So you can make it so it's less turn outable. That's an option. And then you can just say, screw it. I'm not going to do any of those things to finish my edges. Instead, I'm going to do a good solid triple stitch, maybe half an inch from the edge of my garment, wherever that edge is. Instead of a seat, an edge finishing, I'm going to do that and unravel it a little bit, throw it through the laundry and get that really neat soft look to it. Or pink it. If it's a knit fabric or something else, or even a sewn one, you can pink the edge as well to get a a different sort of soft look that changes as you wash it, but looks different, but intentional because intentional is always the goal. Yeah. I like the, um, I like that idea. I have a denim skirt that has that on the, a a jean skirt actually that has that on the bottom. And it's just, it looks like it's just sewn around there. And then it's got the same kind of fraying you get when you get a hole in your jeans and it looks really nice. Yeah, it can be a really neat feature to do. And you can stabilize that edge more by putting more effort into that casual look by folding the, the denim fabric up underneath so that you have the little frayed edge sticking out, but you've been able to um, do a, an edge stitching along the top mm-hmm. to make that a, a more solid, structured um, hem finish. So. Right. There's, there's a lot you can do there that's a lot of fun. Okay, the next one is fun. <laughs> and this is, if you'd like to recreate a ready-to-wear garment, there's a te- technique. It is called rubbing off ready-to-wear. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how people can say that without feeling like you need to giggle is beyond me. And I don't even think I have a particularly dirty mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Love to Sew podcast, which is an educational uh, podcast that gives uh, good ideas and um, (laughs) ideas that are likely to work, uh, they have an entire episode called Rubbing Off Ready to Wear. And I remember listening to it. And I don't think they giggled once about the name of this. So they're clearly, they're about 20 years younger than us and clearly much more mature than us. I mean, obviously so, because I just giggle every time I read through our show notes and see it even mentioned. Okay. So so what is it though? What is rubbing off ready to wear? So rubbing off a pattern is basically taking something that you already like to wear and tracing out somewhere the shape of that garment, all the pieces on it so that you're able to recreate the pattern out of your own fabric. For me, I use that Ikea roll paper. I normally, I first off, I did this all the time with my children for their clothing when they were young. I never bought a pattern. Patterns were too expensive to waste on children's clothing. So I'd take things they already wore and fold them in half and sketch out the important key points, the important lines on it or curves on it. And then I'd use a ruler or a French curve to get the curve correct when I drew it out 
and I'd transfer the markings that I could recall from patterns I made for me. So I'd probably have a marking at the center of the shoulder seam and I'd do a marking at the sleeve and the other sleeve. So I'd know where on the shoulder seam it was supposed to meet and so on and transfer those marks and then label it so I know what it is. Myra's favorite t-shirt size six or, or whatever. So I'd have an idea as to what I was gathering there and uh, create all the pieces that way. With a really complicated garment, it can take some time and some thought to get the pieces transferred correctly. I more commonly do things that'll max out at maybe eight pattern pieces by using that method, but I've successfully recreated um, ready-to-wear cardigans, for example, um, little knit uh, jersey cardigans that I really enjoy by by following that method. Another thing you can do is if you have a garment that you've just destroyed, there's no way for you to fix it. You can always unpick seams and use the garment itself as the actual pattern. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. I think this seems like more of a maybe intermediate or at least advanced beginner technique. It seems more tricky. I think you'd have to really understand garment construction in order to even start with it. Because if you're not tearing the garment apart and you've got, for example, a button-up blouse that's got princess seams on the front and darts on the back. You'd have to understand as you're laying those pieces out what you're having to account for when you do it. So accounting for the darted bodice means you've got to be thinking about, well, I've sketched out the exact shape that they have, but it isn't really because I've got to remember there's a V that I have to slash and spread in order to end up with my final pattern shape. So I would agree it is generally probably more of an intermediate thing. But if you're just trying to replicate that t-shirt from Gap that you got when you were in college, you could do that, I think, fairly easily. Fairly it's, easily. it's probably three simple pattern shapes plus add a neck binding, right? I mean, it's, it shouldn't yeah. be that complicated. So it just varies a bit. So what about those folks that would really like to tackle a big project? I recommend they talk to you about it. Tell us more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have done a few classes on craftsy.com and I've, I've made zero garments from the classes I've done. So I I haven't really (laughs) finished anything. So, you know, this advice is worthless, but um, there's several classes on craftsy.com from Susie Furrer. And they are for drafting your own sloper. I've done the skirt sloper and the pants. I started the pants. I, what happened was the skirt sloper went really well. The first thing I did, it fit perfectly. I'm like, yay, I can do this. And I thought, well, what I really want is a pair of pants. So I started the pants sloper. I tried that on. It didn't fit. And I put it away. So they have these classes on drafting your own. And what I think would be really good is if I actually completed this, you could draft it exactly to your body. And then what she does is she tells you all these variations that you can do to change. For example, the, the skirt one I did, you could make a, you know, how to change that into a pencil skirt or a a skirt with a flare on the buff, a ruffle on the bottom or a flounce or whatever. And I think she does the same in the pants sloper class too. So that is a bigger project, but I imagine for more experienced sewists or people like me who, you know, just try things that they're not prepared for, it's, it it could be a really satisfying um, project to do. 
So I've never made a sloper. Um, there's a class by uh, Brooksanne Camper who is oh, yes. on um, Instagram, and I don't remember her tag, but we'll try and find it and stick it in here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fairly expensive class, but it's a it's an intensive opportunity. She only opens it up a few times a year and fills up very quickly. Um, and I've considered that because I've met Brooks and I've seen the things that that she makes at the Frocktails event that brought me back to sewing actually in August of 2019. And I think, I think she's got great technique. She's amazing. She makes uh, custom couture wedding dresses. She's someone I'd be very interested in working closely with on something like that. And it's a digital class. So it's something that could definitely be done by anybody anywhere, but I, I just haven't taken the time. Um, I, I think that's something I, I would like to look at in the coming year. I like the idea. Also, when you're talking about Susie on Craftsy, I do have to call out one of our um, one of our listeners noted that uh, Susie says you can cut the excess fabric from darts that are greater than two inches, which by the transmutive property means you can cut them out of any darts, <laughs> and that means I am not a rebel when I do this. So, so there's a plus and a minus so here. <laughs> I like that I'm following a rule because I'm an accountant. I'm very rules oriented, but come on, I was so punk rock with that. Um, and now I'm not. I'm going to live through it. So, so Beverly, tell us about bags. Talk about drafting a bag from scratch. What would that look like? Well, this is something even I, I think, could be successful on first try because it's pretty straightforward to draft a bag. The main reason that I want to draft some, make some, is because I am pretty sure that Jim has a whole bunch of our reusable grocery bags at his house, but I can't prove it (laughs) because they're all store-bought and they're all the same. So if I make my own, I'll know for sure that which ones are mine. Anyways, I think that you can easily take a bag and figure out the proportions and make that. And then you can put pockets in it if you want to. You can put um, something to hold your keys. You can put whatever you want in there just like we do with, with all right. our sewing. And you can also decorate it however you want. So I've got some pretty bright and bold canvas I might turn into a few bags. That's pretty awesome. So for me to roll back on that pocket thing, I, of course, do not put pockets in everything. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there should be as many pockets as possible in all bags of all sorts at all times. And so I'm going to give us a little tangent on pockets right now, if that's okay with you, because I think there's a good chance that pocket drafting is what I'm going to do. So I really love, as as anyone who follows my Instagram knows, I love the Trillium dress and I love the Upton by Cashmerette, but I do not put the pockets in them. And I don't put the pockets in them because in the gourd skirt or in the not very gathered skirt, it's got a couple little pleats by the Trillium dress. The way that pockets fall on me for those relatively straight or relatively close-fitting skirts, if I sit, if I move, if I bend, they're going to gap open. And to me, that makes the garment look ill-fitting, even though the garment fits nicely. It's the hip shelf that I have, the way that my hips go from waist to, it's not a gradual curve. Mine's like waist, hip, and <laughs> And that abruptness um, over course of like six inches, I go up 12 inches in size, I think has something to do with why those always fall badly on me. But when you look at the way that a pocket is designed on a pair of denim pants where you've got that cutaway portion of it, um, you know what I mean? The front pocket, so it's that cutaway curve. 
that pocket works really well for me. And so I want to adapt that pocket for both of those dresses. Since they're my most frequent dress makes, I would love to figure out how to get a pocket in them. And I think that that pocket, they both have a defined space, one at the waist, one at an empire waist where I could cut that in. And I want I want to do that. I think that's a really good idea because those pockets always lie nice and flat. I think they do. And I've got a great example of that um, in the in the Calder from Cashmerette, the pants. I have a great example of it there. And I have a great example of it in the Noise jeans from Muna and Broad. And I want to say I've got another couple of dresses that do similar. Oh, the, the Rivermont from Cashmerette has that same pocket. And so I think if I look at enough of them, I should be able to kind of make my own pattern piece to make it happen. Another, now that that's a much more um, tailored sort of look than what I'm going to mention, but there's a pocket that also kind of uh, will not fold out in the peppermint pocket skirt that is Mm -hmm. a free pattern um, from peppermint magazine. And it's kind of just folded over and, and sits it's a big pocket. You can make it smaller if you wanted to, but it's, I think it's, that would be a more, a a less advanced pocket that people could add on something that still would be not just a inseam pocket, but something that was built in more to the panels of the skirt. Right. I also think you could look at welt pockets, which is something I've never made, but you can add a welt pocket to anything, anywhere you want. You want a welt pocket in the center of your back yoke, you can do it. You can put one anywhere you want. It's just a pocket bag with a what looks like a bound edge around it, essentially. Yes. A little more complicated than that. But to me, as a, as a really advanced sewist, actually, I look at that and I think, man, that looks really complicated. And so I've never made one. But well, I, very much I can want tell to. you that you definitely can make one because I have made one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but to me, it's a neat looking pocket finish, and I love it in linen, which of course is your special milieu. Mm. I really love it in a linen dress, and I think that that's something that could also work for me with both the the cashmere at Upton and the Made by Ray trillium that there's a way to put that welt right below the waist that could be really neat or to do a side an up and down welt or an angled welt that could also be a really neat look i don't know if i'm up for that for this month's challenge and that may be for a month when we decide technique is the challenge or something else but right now i i think i think i do have a plan to add a pocket at any rate to one of my favorite dresses because i'm not actually opposed to pockets i'm opposed to how they look on me right Right. I would love to have pockets. I just, I don't love pockets enough to put up with um, what I find to be a poor fit for me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, what's anything, anything else we can think of we want to share about possible drafting ideas? Well, I think another good idea is doll clothes in case somebody would like to try their hand at this, but they don't want to waste several yards of fabric if they <laughs> are not going to be successful or if they just they just want to play around with proportion and play around with, you know, different ways of constructing things. Doll clothes would be a low investment way of trying your hand on it. I agree. And I think, I think there's a lot of fun to be had there um, in terms of customizing little things. So my grandchildren just die if they get to a build a bear, which they have not gotten to in the last year because pandemic, but that's one of their favorite things to do and I can just about bring myself to be okay with the pricing on the bears that they stuff. And 
how they do a little heartbeat ceremony with you as you put the little heart in. It's adorable. And having the grandkids, you know, kiss and make a wish on the heart or whatever it is, is, is great. But when I come back and look at the clothing prices, which do not go on sale as much, it just annoys me. <laughs> and I can imagine drafting something for that little itty bitty bear or dinosaur, whatever the flavor of the month shape is. Um, and having that be a, a less committed sort of a feel to it. Yeah. Um, so I, I do really like that idea. And I think that's another place where you could easily reuse scraps from garments you've already made or make matching garments for a doll for your grandchildren or children that matches something you've made for them. And so I think there's a lot of neat things there. And of course there are art dolls, which feel like they might fall more in your, your alley. I actually, for Christmas, <laughs> yeah, asked for a few books on doll making. Um, and I, I love the, I love the look of art dolls, which some people find really creepy, but I think that's uh-huh. kind of what I like about them is that they're a bit creepy and you can do such interesting things with them. So I think I might, might try that as well. Well, that's a, that's definitely a neat idea. I, I, I look forward to seeing your art dolls. I think a lot of the detail you work, you do, um, I I'm envious of because I know myself well enough to know I'm not going to start doing it, but I, I love the result that you get. Okay. Well, this month, we really want to focus on empowering ourselves as SOAS. The challenge is designed to encourage us to take charge and push ourselves to make the clothes we want to wear, whether designers create them for us or not. We really want to discuss the importance of size inclusivity and what we can all do to help. That is obviously an important topic and one that's near and dear to my heart. And we have a lot to say on this. And we've spoken to, I've, I've had some interviews with other advocates in the sewing community to talk about this. Um, and we're excited to be able to share that with you. We have more content um, than most folks have time to listen to on a weekly podcast for this. <laughs> <laughs> but I did we, go on a lot with them. It was very good conversations. <laughs> and it's really important. And I think a lot of people are really going to be interested in the whole story, which is why we are going to make sure it is available. For those of you that want to hear it, we're going to have it on um, our website and you can listen to it there. That's really great. And we're going to be so excited to hear what you guys think and to see all the wonderful projects, especially that you make for hashtag PF And Jenny, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at J O Hassler. And you can find me at so Jenny, S E W Jenny.com. And you can find me at Weeds to Wildflowers on Instagram or Weeds to Wildflowers.com. Um, the podcast at Punk Frockers and at punkfrockers.com. <laughs> okay, we're guys, we're gearing up. You can't see it because you're listening. It's an audio medium, but we're just about to say our catchphrase together at the exact same time. I'm sure of it. See, see you, you next Tuesday. Tuesday. The Punk Frockers podcast is created, performed, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. Our artwork and music is designed, written, and performed by Jim Duran.